John here, and we've got a new sponsor, DistroKid. Now that you've finished your latest Pirate Math SpongeCore Twitch trek, it's time to get it out there so everyone can hear it. DistroKid helps musicians get their music on all the major streaming platforms, and artists keep 100% of their royalties. And because you're a high-gain listener, you get 30% off. Just go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash high-gain. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash high-gain. And now DistroKid has an app. The DistroKid app is available for iOS and Android. You can download it at distrokid.com slash app or in the app and play stores. We'd like to take a minute to thank our pals over at Isotope, makers of software and plugins for audio repair, mixing, and mastering. The new gold standard of audio repair, Isotope RX11, is coming in May. Buy RX10 now on sale and get RX11 absolutely free when it's released. We use Isotope products here at the High Gain. It's an important part of how we've been able to bottle pure podcast gold week after week. High Gain listeners get 10% off using the promo code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-1-0. That's all at isotope.com. I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com. Hey, this is Ed Peterson. And this is John Kiltica, Ed. How'd I come in, John? You came in perfectly. Oh, I love it. I'm getting better. A little bit. It's the High Gain Podcast. It is. We talk about guitars. All the time. Exclusively. Mostly. Where are we recording from? Beautiful West Seattle, Washington. It's pretty nice out today. We're getting into the summery kind of times. Yeah, maybe. Depending on when this comes out, I think it's lovely out. Yes. And this week, Ed? Yeah. We've got a guest. We've been banging the guests out, so to speak, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that didn't come out right, (laughs) did it? (laughs) We might need to just let that one lay right where you left it, Ed. (laughs) Okay. Sure, sure. Anybody who knows the band Granddaddy? Yeah. Or Modest Mouse? Heard of them. Once or twice? Yes. Might know the guitarist extraordinaire Jim Fairchild. Sure. And guess what? What? (laughs) He's here with us. Uh, You there, Jim? Hey guys. Hey. How's it going? Welcome to the high game. Thanks for having me on. Are you in beautiful Ojai, California? I'm in beautiful Ojai, California. It's hot outside. I was watering the plants earlier. Me and my son Azul went to the farmer's market. It's been a day already. Azul. Mm -hmm. That's a super good name. That's a great name. Yeah. (laughs) He's a cool kid. He's fun. The color blue, right? The color blue. Yep. Yeah. Do you know about lawsuit guitars from the 70s, Jim? Yep. I've got one that happened just after that. We're going to be talking about a Ibanez MC400 from 1978. Sweet. It sounded like the intro to Someday, Someway, the Marshall Crenshaw song. Oh, yeah, like... Yes. Ugh. Yeah. What a wonderful song. Beverly 
beverages. Beverages. <sighs> what are you drinking, Jim? My wife hates the name of these, but it's a Nixie sparkling water. It's organically flavored. Some of those shits, you know, like LaCroix, oh. you can taste the factory in New Jersey where they synthesize <laughs> those chemicals. So I have been doing more Nixie and more Spindrift lately. There's a strict no LaCroix policy here on the high gain. Yeah, we call it perv water. <laughs> because the CEO of that company allegedly, allegedly gropes people on airplanes. Oh, that's not that cool. I mean... I've definitely had LaCroix, plenty of them in my life. But when something reaches ubiquity, I think it's a good time to start questioning it, which is why Nixie exists. I didn't know anything about the Nixie water. I've got strawberry hibiscus here. You know, the water's great. Yeah, yeah. I've got this wonderful beaker water bottle that I've had forever. It's like, you know, a glass bottle, big, thick rubber coating that you can take off easily. Sheath. Let's call it a sheath. Sure. And wash it. And then a plastic lid. Yeah. I go through two of these, two quarts a day when I'm at the studio. And once I'm through two quarts of water and maybe a few sparkling beverages, then it's like, I probably got enough done today. I think staying hydrated is key. Totally, dude. Key to good podcasting. Yeah. Key for general safety. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Health and wellness. What do you got, John? What do I have? Yeah. Well, my good friend Ed got me an Uptown Espresso. That's good for remaining alert. Hydrated and caffeinated. Yes. Yeah. And I do have a sparkling beverage of the raspberry variety. I doubt that it is as wholesome as Jim's. Still tasty. Yeah. What about you? I just got a regular drip coffee from our friends at Uptown. Uptown Espresso. Shout out. And I have a 32-ounce hydro flask of h2o sweet raw dog in the water <laughs> are you a big ibanez head jim is that your thing <laughs> i had this red ibanez base i think i bought it largely with paper out money when i was maybe 13 yeah sound gear sdgr sleek axe neck through and then you know i had these rubber almost devo hat knobs the speed knobs yeah Kevin, the bass player and granddaddy, he had a blue one of those. I guess until we got signed, he took his getting signed money and he bought a Fender five-string bass. Oh. God rest his soul. Kevin passed away a few years ago. We love him so much. But I have a very nice relationship with Fender. And when granddaddy went out in 2017, my great friend Michael Schulz over at Fender sent along a four-string, I think a P-bass. So he went from the Ibanez sound gear. He had the blue one. And then he went to the five-string jazz bass, and then he graduated to a P bass, and that was the last bass that he played. This is probably an oversimplification, but, you know, guitar players have to have, like, 20 guitars for some reason. Bass players have bunches of basses, too. I mean, the thing is, it's generally monophonic, and it takes up mostly a very specific tonal array in either a live mix or a recording, right? Right. You know, you can get involved with some, like, Joy Division and put some chorus on there. You can Peter Hook it. You can blow it out a little bit like Cliff Burton and put some distortion on there. Yep. Both tight looks. <laughs> but essentially, you exist within a certain space. And also, guitar players will be like, well, I need to have my sort of jazz box. Right. You know, I want to sound more like Barney Kessel today. 
Then it's also like, if you start getting involved with different tunings and you want to have them kind of set up that way. My friend toured with Yola Tango for a while. Let's say they have 10 tunings, but they bring out three guitars. So he's just like constantly tuning the entire show. That's all he's doing. It's like, man, you guys are a pretty successful band. You should maybe just get a few more guitars and just keep them shit set up. Yeah. <laughs> the way that they should be tuned because you're torturing the audience, your tech and the guitars. <laughs> Let's start at the end of that lawsuit. Ibanez lawsuit from Gibson. Yeah, Gibson goes to sue Ibanez in 1977. Here's the thing about that, though. Yeah. Ibanez heard from some inside source that that was going to happen. It was coming. They knew it was coming. Yeah. So they started work ahead of time on all new designs that were not derivative of Gibson designs at all. And they went to Nam with the all new designs. They had heard that the Gibson boys were going to show up and confiscate their entire booth. Shit. So they're just like, look, you can't prove that we ever had anything that looks like yours. Look at these. Yeah. No copies to be found. And so it was kind of dismissed. If you go in and you've redesigned your line, that almost feels like you're admitting guilt. Yeah, our bad. Maybe. But apparently not. What came out of it? were multiple series of guitars with names like the Performer Series, the Concert Series. So today, what I have is from the Musician Series. Okay. This is the MC400. It's got gold hardware. Yep, neck through. Like Strat with Gibson-y sort of three-on-a-side headstock. Hmm. And it's kind of an offset body, but it does a lot of weird shit. You want to hear about some of this weird shit? Sure. Oh, okay. Well, then I am in passive mode right now. Okay. And this thing's got a little switch. Oh. Now I am in active mode. So the pickups can be either. Is that right? Either. Yes. Hmm. I'm going to go back to passive here for a minute. Yeah. These are two humbuckers. Not only are they tapped, but they are reverse wound as well. So I am playing both of these humbuckers right now. Now I am in single coil mode. Oh, yeah, you are. I've got two single coils, but wait, there's more. Okay. Now I am in out of phase mode. Wow, that's cool. The volume dropped, so let's go into active. Wow. Now that I'm in active, there are three more knobs. That is a cut and boost EQ system on board. Roll a little bass back in there. Or not. Maybe I just roll everything down and crank the treble. Yeah. Because I'm contrary that way. Oh, God. <laughs> Dude, this is a pretty amazing guitar. I mean, I'm looking at one right now. Jesus Christ. Oh, God damn. Is that horrible? <laughs> it's horrible, and I love it. Sometimes you start to get a crowded mix. There's a guitar part that needs to happen. How are you going to get it to pop out? Yeah, that's going to cut through. Yeah. Now I'm back in full humbucker mode in active town. The thing I find interesting about the phase switch is yeah. that it's a phase switch per pickup. I'll keep the neck in phase, regular humbucker. Right. Sounds like that. Got it. And then switch to the bridge. That's out of phase. Now I put both pickups on. That's almost stratty in a way. Yeah. Man, I always have such a hard time with active electronics and guitars with that tonal array. It's just so much work. I like it, 
But maybe in a studio, would you play this guitar live? No, I'd never take that thing out. Exactly. Or if I did, I would just leave it in passive mode and call it a day. Yeah, exactly. There's just too many knobs and you accidentally bump one of those things and it's like, where the fuck am I? But additionally, yeah, I've got no dirt on right now. Okay. I'm in active mode. There is an additional volume control. So my volume's all the way up. If yeah. I turn up the active volume. Oh, no. Whoa. <clears throat> Damn, dude. Cool. If you wanted to go super shellacky. For sure. Isn't that yeah. just brutal? <laughs> there was no dirt on that at all. Crazy. Guitar to amp. <laughs> yeah. Damn. I don't know if this thing was even really popular. Imagine it's 1978. Nobody's thinking, I want to play like shellac. I think I can answer that question. Oh, yeah. No, it was not popular. (laughs) (laughs) Back in the day, this was a real fancy guitar. How fancy was it? We should probably ask Mr. Jim Fairchild. Yeah. If you wanted to go back in your time machine and go buy one of these in $1978, what were you going to pay? I'll bet 300. Ooh. He says 300, Ed. What do you say? I think it was more than that. I'm going to say $412.79. It was $785. Oh Whoa, dude. Yeah. What is that today dollars? Today dollars, that's 3500 bucks. Holy shit. <laughs> I feel like the Mascus Jazzmaster was less than 700 bucks when it came out. Yeah, yeah. That's super expensive. <laughs> That's it's a little expensive. <laughs> Who bought this thing? I guess probably nobody. Yeah. It was only around for two years. Okay. 1980, it's gone. Where did you get started, Jim? Was it Modesto? Yep. I was born in Fresno, raised in Modesto. Did you meet many of the famous Modestoans as you were growing up? George Lucas. Oh, did you meet George? No, he's a lot older than us. I've never met George Lucas. Everyone and granddaddy went to a high school called Downey High School at some point, except for Aaron, our drummer. George Lucas went there long, long before we did. He had the good sense to get out. You know, we stayed. (laughs) (laughs) Is it a good place to be from? I wouldn't want to raise Ozzy, our son there, but I think it was a great place to grow up. It was just a small town and all of the outskirts all around it, you know, is all farms. And that's what the Central Valley of California is. And my grandfather was a farmer. So, you know, we were around that a lot and it was just kind of a quiet, small community. I went to one elementary school. I went to one junior high school and one high school. The guys from Granddaddy, did you start playing in high school together? No. Jason started the band. You know, he's the, I guess, the architect of our group. Him and Tim are probably like four to five years older than me. And so they were like the older skaters. We're all skaters. And so I knew who they were. You know, when you're like, say, 11 or something, and you're like looking at 16-year-olds, you know, those dudes are like on Mount Rushmore. So cool. Yeah, exactly. I was playing with a bunch of friends that I did play in high school with, most of whom I'm still friends with. That band would play with Granddaddy, and then Jason and I just hit it off really early. It was very easy for Jason and I to hang out. We were both super into recording and arrangement and production, and that wasn't really a thing then. Yeah. This is like the early 90s. Jason had a four-track and inspired me to get a four-track. So I got a four-track when I was probably like 18 years old and started recording on my own. And Granddaddy, all those records were made on our own long before people did that. Yeah. That was one of the things that people noticed about us. That's great. But yeah, I started hanging out with them a ton. 
and Jason and I would always kind of dance around the issue of me being in the band and for a variety of reasons I just didn't do it but Jason and I would play together all the time and skate together and hang out together and eventually I was just like I need to be in Granddaddy so I let that be known and then I joined Granddaddy and then we became whatever we became <laughs> whatever we are as you skated around Modesto did you ever run into Joan Laverne Mitchell just walking down the street Joan Laverne Mitchell um I don't think so. I have no idea who that is. <laughs> oh, no. We did lose Joan in 2015. You might know her, Ed. Yeah. As the co-inventor of the JPEG digital image format. <laughs> oh, thanks, John. <laughs> no way. Thanks. Yeah. That's crazy. She's from Modesto? She's from Modesto, yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. THX and the JPEG. Thank you, Modesto. That is leaving a mark on the world. Man. <laughs> I love the movie Enemy of the State with Will Smith. I don't know if I've seen it. Really? You have not seen Enemy of the State? No, I mean, I'm familiar with it, but I don't think I've seen it. It's got this stacked cast, all these upcoming kids back in the day. In the beginning of the movie, Jason Lee films a murder that sort of sets the movie off. Ooh. Jason's a good buddy of mine, and he named his kid Pilot after a granddaddy song. I think there's not enough bands where people have named their kids after songs. That feels like a feather in your cap. That's resume fodder. I went to Jason's 50th birthday party, and it was right at the dawn of pandemia. Yeah. No one knew what to do. It was like, fuck, this is scary being out in public with people. Right. And it was on his lawn, and they tried to make it as safe as they could, and they like handed out cupcakes. And it was like, uh, I, no, I don't know. <laughs> I don't eat cupcakes, <laughs> which is bullshit. <laughs> Jason became a big granddaddy fan, and then... He was shooting a movie and somehow I think he wrote like some message to the granddaddy website. And I was kind of the dude who would like keep track of that stuff at the time. And I was like, maybe this is Jason, maybe it's not, but like something told me that it was. So I was like, hit me up sometime. And then he started calling me really late. It'd be like two or three in the morning and I would be asleep and wake up to a message and be like, Hey man, it's Jason. What's going on? <laughs> Jason's good dude. I like Jason a lot. When I think of you live, you're like a strat guy. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. In the first run of Granddaddy, I always played a Strat, this blue Strat, which I still have. I was just thinking about this recently because Pavement's back out there right now. I was like, oh, I totally chose that guitar just because of Steve Malkmus. You know, Steve's such a great Strat player, and it doesn't really sound that much like a Strat in his hands. But yeah, I played a lot of Strat, mostly Strat in Modest Mouse. I feel really comfortable with Strats. I like them a lot. Although when Granddaddy went back out in 2016 and 17, I was playing one of the Shawbucker tellies. Right. I don't know if it's just because I was playing so much differently now than I did, or I've just done so much more recording now, but I was just like, this just doesn't sound good with Jason's Jazzmaster. There is too much like harmonic and tonal information in the Stratocaster. So then when I put the Shawbucker on it, which is like, okay, this fits really nicely with Jason. So if we're both playing, there's a little more color, especially with the Shawbucker because they're humbuckers. With Isaac, I just carried on playing the Strat because Isaac's sound is so thick. You know, Isaac came up playing like Fernandez and maybe even some like Ibanez. He was playing like metal guitars. And also the sound of Modest Mouse. Isaac's guitar is the sound of it, whereas like with Granddaddy, there's tons of guitars, but the band is not about guitars, you know? So the architecture of Modest Mouse is guitars, even though it's so much more expansive. The Stratocaster, I could really keep it laser focused. Here's Isaac's guitar. It has all of this harmonic information. You know, there's like a humbucker and two single coils on those wicks that he plays now. And then 
the Stratocaster, I just know how to control that thing. I could get it to be very narrow because, you know, there needs to be all these other colors that are allowed to be represented out front and on the recordings. What was it like coming to that midstream and trying to find your place in it? It was really interesting with Isaac because the first day that we ever sat down, just the two of us, and made songs together, we wrote two songs in like three hours. One was called Be Brave and one was called Ansel. I guess I would say that during the time that I was in Modest Mouse, particularly when we were writing, there were just so many competing factors. I guess I always hoped that we would have had a little more time for it to just be he and I to like get a bed of stuff together because it was very easy for us to make stuff together. Right. So easy. But there just wasn't a lot of time for it during the time that I was in the band. But, you know, Isaac is very, very good at knowing how to integrate personalities and ideas so that it can be generative. I think in some way, like that's why it worked well with he and I. I always want to make songs. That's all I want to do. I run A&R for Danger Bird, a label down here in Los Angeles, which is fantastic. I love it so much. And when I'm not doing that, I just want to be like writing and recording. I just want to make stuff. I love getting the idea for a riff or a little chord sequence or whatever, and then chasing it down. That riddle, that puzzle. I feel super, super lucky that I still get to make music at all. And I feel like it's this tremendous opportunity and responsibility. Like, dude, you got to make as much music and finish as much music as you possibly can, period. Right. If I hit a roadblock, I just bounce over to the other thing. Perfect. Where do your blocks come from? You know where the blocks honestly come from is if I'm not in it, if I don't do it enough. Working the muscles. Exactly. That's it. Oh man, that makes such sense. (laughs) This is your job. You're super, super lucky that you get to do this job. And like, I'm always involved with making music. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you start getting old and having a kid and Ozzy, our son has brought so much into focus for me. Obviously you have to communicate to him verbally the way that you would want him to live, but you also have to show him. Yeah. And so, you know, if I'm doing that, then I feel like I'm demonstrating to him with my energy. I want to be able to show him a person who is in this tremendously fortunate position who's found something that they enjoy and that they're pretty good at and are able to like cultivate a life around it. There you go. I'm off my soapbox. (laughs) We get it. Everyone we've interviewed has been incredibly thankful. And while it's amazing you get to do it, it's also not lost on anyone how incredibly scary it probably is. Oh man, it's fucking impossible. It requires a lot of, you know, hard work and maybe some talent and some grit and all that shit, but it's also just like luck or fortune or something like that. For sure. Do you want to play something, something kind of more recent? Yeah. So we talked about this ahead of time. We're going to play some of the small aisles stuff. This one is called Life at One.
That's so great. You recorded that on the road. Is that true? Yeah, a lot of it, the basis for a good chunk of that was recorded on the road. And then my friend Jacob, who collaborates with me on a lot of the Small Isles stuff, added all the vocals, and then that gave the song kind of a shape. So much of that music starts in a somewhat impressionistic way. And then depending on what winds up weaving its way into it in the arrangement or based on his responses to what I'll come up with, then it alters it. I would just bring this mobile rig into every venue, every hotel room and sit and write and record stuff. I came up with this idea that I would score an imaginary film and I did that. This new one that we've just finished up. The bed for a lot of that was made during the last run that I did with Modest Mouse, which was when we were supporting the Black Keys at the end of 2019. And so, yeah, there's more coming. Now it's just got its own momentum, but that was how all that stuff started. I definitely get the cinematic hit off of it. Does that lead you in your mind into actual scoring work? Completely. I started listening to scores when I was probably 16 or 17. The only music books that I've ever bought are about film scoring. And it continues to be a huge part of what I listen to more than ever now. As I listen to that song, the vibes I get are Terrence Malick. I totally could see that score Uh over a ton of Malick work. Your mouth to Terrence's ears, I hope, you know. At Danger Bird, you're sort of on the other side of that wall doing this kind of thing for other people. You must have a tremendous amount of empathy. The people that I've signed and then I help marshal their records into existence, however that works, I hope that they would say something like, I understand the process of making songs and turning them into records. You know what I mean? Right. I think I have a decent idea of what I want to hear exist in the world. But then once that's in process, I'm super hands-off. I'll help them get through the demo phase to the point where it's like, I think you're ready. You got enough songs, just go do it. If you want my help or if you want my input or whatever, I'll offer it. But you got the songs, just get them down. You gotta try it. Try and decide. Is it hello or goodbye? Goodbye or goodbye? Wait, what is that? The buy or deny theme. Knowing what you now know about this guitar, would you buy it or deny it, Jim? (laughs) I would buy it. I totally would. Would you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You get so many different flavors out of it. I think that's where this thing would shine. Exactly. Ed? I think it's cool. (laughs) If I were going this kind of guitar. What, like 70s? I could see it in like a prog thing. (laughs) I would buy the aluminum neck Kramer version of this. Really? For sure. I like that you can turn the active stuff off, but if you have to put a battery in the guitar, I'm done. I'm not buying it. (laughs) Or too many instructions, really. Exactly. Like there's five knobs, four switches. What the hell? One of the first prototypes was made for Jerry Garcia. Yeah, it looks Jerry-ish. It looks pretty fucking Marin. Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) Not my thing. No. I would probably deny it too, but I love the fact that you can get grindingly horrible sounds out of it but then i probably have pedals that would do that too you could get most of those tones in post i think you totally can but having it on board not bad it is cool it's just one of those things where if it came down to you can only have three guitars there's (laughs) no way this is going to be one of them it's just not my thing yeah i don't think it's top three no no No. me neither i don't think so three denies Oh, no, oh, no, no, no. Jim said he'd Jim, buy it. Jim's on Team Ibanez. Yeah. I'm buying. But it's only to add add some color to my current array. You could get a lot of tone out of this. You also have to commit to learning how to use the damn thing. <laughs> 
I was sitting here watching as John was hitting the toggle switches. And when he went into that out-of-phase single-coil mode, I could not duplicate the steps he took to get it into that mode. I saw him do it and was just like, uh-uh. Yeah, I mean, I guess to your point, also, it's just like, pull up some fucking filter on Pro Tools. It sounds to me, maybe Jim is changing his mind. <laughs> I think a solid 33% buy on this seems fine. If we average this out to 33%, it's great. <laughs> totally. Hey, where could people find more Jim Fairchild stuff? Where do you want to point them? The most recent Small Isles record I'm super, super proud of. No one heard the Grace Meridian stuff. So as far as songs, I would love for people to hear that. And there will be a lot more Small Isles coming this fall and then going into next year. I love all of it. Whether it's Modest Mouse or Granddaddy, which you already know about, or the All Smiles stuff, the Small Isles stuff. Grace Meridian. Grace Meridian. Sweet, you guys. I appreciate the help. The, um... Where can people find us, John? Where can people find us? Yeah. The Instagrams and the Facebooks and our webpage, thehighgain.com. And our corporate overlords over there at Ruinous Media. That's right. Joe Plummer. My Joe. We are a proud member of the Ruinous Media Network of music-related podcasts. On Ruinous, go check out Tour Stories, Season 2, Episode 17. That was May 2020. Oh, man. It had a Jim Fairchild on, so you could check out yes. Joe and Jim. <laughs> Joe and I in conversation. Perfect. Jim, thank you so much for taking the time and coming to talk to us. This is fantastic. John and Ed, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it, both of you. It's been quite a treat. 